That song just puts me in a good mood. I don't know why. It just does. How many are just your Christmas music people? You, how many of you, you're glad that they started playing Christmas music on the radio back in September? You're like, <laughs> earlier the better. I love it. I love the music. Um, I, I'm the type of person that likes to know what, what goes on behind uh, the scenes. Like, how do they do that? And I can remember one time when I was... I don't know. I can't remember. I was a teenager. We were at Disney World, and we we're in Space Mountain. And if, if anybody ever been in Space Mountain, it's this roller coaster ride. But it's dark. You can't see anything in it, and so all the turns and the twists are all by surprise. And uh, pretty, pretty neat. And one time we we were in Space Mountain, and we got stuck. It just stopped. Like, and there's like other cars behind you coming, and you're like, okay, we're gonna get hit. What's going on? And so they had to turn the lights on. So we're in Space Mountain, and all the lights come on, so you can see everything. That goes on, which kind of obviously took away from the whole thing, because now you can see all the track and what goes on. But you kind of got a picture behind the scenes of what went on in Space Mountain, otherwise being pitch black in there. So it was neat on one side. Then you're like, eh, kind of a bummer, because now you can see what goes on. But not for me, because I like them. Like, oh, this is cool. This is how they do it. Here's how the track goes. And there's something that I want us to see for this Christmas. And and I, I think sometimes we forget what's going on behind the scenes at Christmas. I think sometimes it's easy to, how many of us know it's easy to get caught up in all the exterior stuff of Christmas. And, and I think sometimes when we look at Christmas or we even look at the birth of Christ, we see what's going on in the front. And, and we look at a manger scene and we think, oh, isn't that just nice? And, and look how wonderful that is. And they're all there. And Jesus is there. And the cows are there. And you know, the shepherds are there and just, you know, you look at your manger scene, it just looks so nice and everything just looks so wonderful, right? So peaceful. But we don't realize is what it, what it took to get there and what was going on behind the scenes. And I, I want us to get a different picture of Christmas. And I, I want us to get a picture of Christmas uh, through the eyes of God and how God allowed Mary and Joseph and the shepherds and the wise men to, to peer through the eyes of God, to see actually what he sees. And, and I think what can happen in our lives is that we look at the exterior things and we look at our circumstances and our situations and it's easy for us to get discouraged at times. Can I get an amen? It's just easy to get discouraged at times in our lives because we're looking with these carnal eyes, we're looking uh, with our flesh. We're, we're not seeing behind the picture. We're, we're, we may not be looking with spiritual eyes. And God says, listen, I want you to see with my eyes because what you see is not necessarily what I see. What you see might seem defeating. What, what you see might seem discouraging. But, but I want to show you something different to even give you joy in the midst of discouraging situations in your life. And this is exactly what God does for Mary and Joseph and the, and the wise men and the shepherds, he gives them his word to give them joy in the midst of very discouraging situations. And so I, I want to look, I want us to look at behind the scenes here. And there was really nothing easy about Christmas. There's really nothing easy about the Christmas story and about Jesus coming into the world. You have Mary, who's, who's a pregnant teenage girl. Uh, you have Joseph, who hears the news and wants to secretly divorce her. 
uh, not put her to shame because he was a righteous man, the word of God says, until an angel came to him in a dream and told him not to fear and that she would conceive through the Holy Spirit and she would give birth to the Messiah. And my question is, how did they make it? Through all the obstacles, both physical and emotional, how did they make it? And, and, and I'm sure that when they would share this story with people, that people just didn't believe them. And they probably were saying, oh, sure, you're going to give birth to the Messiah and, and, and it's through the Holy Spirit. You know, is that the story you're using? Is that the story you want to stick with? And I'm sure they had this stigma placed upon their lives because of this. And what they had to endure emotionally was much more difficult than what they would have to endure physically. And I believe what kept them going was the fact that they were able to see their situation through God's eyes because God let them peer behind the scenes of what he was doing and what his purpose is. If you don't have a purpose for your life, you're going to, you're going to, your walk in life is going to be very aimless. You're going to be going for this, that, and the other, and you're just not going to find significance. And the thing, what the thing that God does for Mary and Joseph is he gives them significance and purpose in their lives. And he goes, I'm going to allow you to be part of this. Now, this doesn't mean that your life is going to be easy, but you will have my word to help you through. And your life will have purpose and significance because I'm going to allow you to participate in the greatest thing that has ever happened to this world. And that's the giving of the Messiah, the savior being born to this earth, into our messiness, into our ugliness and coming right where we are and living among us to show us the way back home. And I want you to be part of it. I know when you look at your life, you're from Nazareth, Podunk, Holler, town in Wayne County. I know that's where you're from. That's where they're from. They were from just a, just really not a well-known town. And people said, how can the Messiah come from this no-name town? How can I use a teenager and this young man, just a carpenter? God says, I'm not using you because you're royalty. Or because there's something great and grandiose about your situation. I'm using you because you're obedient. And I've chosen you. And isn't it wonderful that God uses obedient people. That just come to him and say, God, just, I just want to be used. I, I know my past looks messy. And God says, I don't care about that. When you come to me, I will change you. I will rearrange your life and I will use you for my purpose and glory. And I will let you be part of this great purpose that I have for the world. That's what makes the Christian life so exciting that God allows us to come in to his purposes and allows us to see with his eyes. And then your life changes because it gives it new meaning. So whatever you're going through in your life, when you understand that you're going to be able to make it because your life has new meaning. That you understand this world isn't all that there is. That's what's waiting for us is something far greater than what we could ever receive here on this world. Great place for an amen. Amen. Okay. So here's, here's, here's what I want us to see. Even when people didn't, didn't believe in them, ha- having, to, having to live their life with a bad reputation, even though it wasn't their fault, they still had to trust God. They had to put their faith in God and, and the word of God kept them moving forward And this is what I love about the Christmas story. Listen to this first statement. I just want you to get this. Mary and Joseph had to put their faith into action, even though they didn't see it at times. They had to take a step of faith. They had to believe God, even though they may not have seen it at the time. They had to trust God's word, trust God's word to take that step of faith, even though they didn't see it at time. So when it came time for the birth 
of Jesus, Mary and Joseph had to travel to Bethlehem to give birth to Jesus, which, which meant traveling some 90 miles. Now, we don't know how they traveled. We don't know if she had a donkey. We, we, the, the Bible just doesn't say. We don't, we don't, we don't, they may have walked. We, we just don't know how they traveled. But they had to travel 90 miles from their home to travel because they were required to register in Joseph's ancestral home, in his hometown uh, of, of Bethlehem. And this is a result of the orders given by Caesar Augustus. And, and, and even this, even this is part of God's plan. Even though they had to travel so many miles to get there, and I'm sure it wasn't easy for, for Mary, who was, who was well into her pregnancy, ready to give birth, but this was to fulfill the prophecy that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem uh, in Micah 5.2 that we can see this. So as we see, nothing was easy for them. And they believed God through all the turmoil. And even in the midst of what seemed like this insurmountable circumstances, God was there to encourage them. And so what they do is they travel all these miles. They finally make it to Bethlehem. They finally get there. And then what happens? There's no room where in the Holiday Inn. Booked. No room there. And so could things actually get worse for them? She's pregnant ready to give birth, and there is no room for them to stay. Have you ever felt that way? Like, can life get any worse at this moment? And you just think, I just got over this hurdle, and now there's another hurdle, and there's another hurdle. And, and so what they have is they have no, basically no place to even lay Jesus. And the place where they lay Jesus is a feeding trough for animals. And so Jesus was brought into this world in the most humblest surroundings. And I don't know what they felt at that moment. I don't know if they felt all alone. Or if they wondered, is this going to all work out? I don't know if they're discouraged at that, at that moment. But God didn't give up on them. And God doesn't give up on you. Even when, you just seem, even when it seems like everything is lost, you're at your wit's end, you're at the bottom of the barrel, you're on your back, and the only place to, to look is up. I want you to know that God has not given up on you. He continually seeks seeks us out with his love. And I don't know about you, that song is wonderful. He does love you. He loves you. And here's the thing I love about God's love. It's not dependent on, my, on, on how I act or, or, or whether or not I think I'm a good person or how bad I think I am. God demonstrates his love towards us by giving us his son. He first reached out to us with his love. He reaches out to us. He reaches out to us. It's because he loves us. And that's why he sent his son. So listen to this next statement. See, each each step of the way, each step of the way, God would encourage Mary and Joseph to do something to show them that he had not forgotten about them. I love that. Each step of the way, we're going to see how God just infuses just a little bit of encouragement, a word from God, brings someone else into the scene to show them that he had not forgotten about them, even though the circumstances are real, the, the reputation that they had is real, the opposition, the public opposition against them is real, the physical oppositions against them are real, but God, step by step, gives them these little infusements of encouragement to show them that he has not forgotten about them, and he does the same for you and I in our lives. And so this is what I love about the shepherds who got to see Jesus first. And this is what I want to look at today. I want to see how God uses these so-called lowly shepherds, humble shepherds in the process 
uh, in the purpose of the birth of Christ and how God allowed them to come in and, and God used them to show them his purpose and what he was about to do for the world. So I, I love this incredible story of God using what the world would consider as lowly people to be the first ones to witness the, the, the savior of the world. So I want to look at Luke chapter two. So if you've got your Bibles, you can turn there to Luke chapter two. We're going to be looking at verses eight through 20. You can look at the screens or your devices, whatever you got. Let's look at the word of God here and see uh, the story of the shepherds and how God used the shepherds to see through his eyes and to bring them into the purposes of God. And I, so I just love the story. Many of us know this story very well. Let's see what the word of God says here. It's starting in verse eight. It says, there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them and the glory of the Lord shone around them and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring good news and great joy that will be for all people today in the town of David. A savior has been born to you. He is Christ, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find the baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great host of company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to men in whom his favor rests. And when the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off, found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger, and then they had see, and when they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary, I love this in verse 19, seeing all what's happening before her, and the shepherds coming, sharing what the angel told them, the word of God. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they have heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Amen to God's word. This is an exciting story. And so I want to dig into why the shepherds. There are so many little backgrounds and nuances of the shepherds that is, I could spend three weeks just talking about that. But I want to look at why did God speak to the shepherds first of this great announcement and to see the birth of, of Christ. Why the shepherds? I want you to understand something here, that the shepherds are a perfect picture of how Jesus cares for us. A perfect picture of how Jesus cares for us. Let me give you a little background to the shepherds in the time of Christ. Uh, first of all, the shepherd's life was not easy. They lived, in, they lived most of their lives out in the fields, really uh, not uh, away from society, not really part of society. Um, they had it very difficult at times keeping with any to, to be religious or keeping with, with the religious world. Um, they couldn't keep any of those things with their occupation. So they were kind of looked down upon. Um, they had a hard time keeping the Sabbath because of their occupation. And so once again, religiously, they were looked, um, looked down upon. And so they were, they were seen as a lower class and, and virtually had no voice um, from our perspective, we would think, well, it really makes no sense, you know, if we're looking through it with worldly eyes, this greatest announcement that the world would ever know that they're announcing it, uh, to these, to these shepherds. But Jesus, what we'll see in the life of Jesus is God had a purpose for announcing it to shepherds, because what we see here 
is we see the heart of God and sending his son. And what we see in the heart of God through his son is we see the heart of a shepherd. And so I want to look at that a little bit more because what we see in the word of God is that the word of God characterizes Jesus. One of the characteristics of Jesus is that he's a good shepherd. He's a good shepherd. He's not a, he's not a hired He's, he's not a hired person that just comes in, does his job and leaves, but, but he cares about his flock. He's a good shepherd. He's going to lay his life down for his sheep. He'll do anything to protect them from the wolves and wild animals that would come and try to devour the flock. Uh, John ten eleven says it well uh, when Jesus says this about himself. He says, I am the good shepherd and the good shepherd does what? sacrifices his life for his sheep. And so what Jesus would do is Jesus would care and sacrifice for his sheep. Who are the sheep? We are. We're the sheep. And sheep are dumb. Just want to tell you that. They're not real smart. So God characterizes us as sheep. We, we, we've, we just kind of do our thing and we're not real smart. And, and we all need a shepherd to lead us in the right way. And so, so God understands that about that. And that's not a put down on us, but we are, we're, we're, we're just dumb. We need a shepherd. We need a leader. And so we, we see that Jesus is, is represented as this good shepherd. God speaks to the shepherds to be the first ones to see this wonderful news and to witness the birth of Jesus, our Lord and savior. But what, what's also characterized, you see a shepherd and they take care of the sheep. What I like about this is Jesus is also described as a lamb. He's also described as a lamb. And why, why is he described as a shepherd and also uh, a, a lamb? Well, John one twenty nine, John the Baptist says this. Next day, John the, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming towards him. And he said this, look, the lamb of God who takes away what? The sin of the world. We see the purpose of Jesus coming to lead us and to guide us as that good shepherd to lay his life down as the lamb of God. To become our sacrifice and to have our sins laid upon his back. Jesus is both the shepherd and a lamb. And in order to appease a holy God, Jesus needed to be this lamb of God. He was perfect in every way. There needed to be a sacrifice for our sin. Our debt was too great. And Jesus had to pay the penalty of our debt because of our sin, which each and every one of us are born in. So Jesus comes into this world as a good shepherd to lay his life down for you and I as the lamb of God, God in his grace and mercy provides for us a perfect offering in his son, Jesus Christ. And so there's that perfect offering for us. And so in this picture, we see the symbolic picture of the shepherds. We see the symbolic picture of Jesus being a good shepherd and also being a lamb of God that lays his life down for you and I. So how, this is what I want to just, in the meat of the message here, this is what I want to dig in today. I want to look at how the shepherds, why is there a connection with the shepherds at G, specifically at Jesus's birth? This is very interesting. Why did God choose the shepherds to be the first to hear the news of Jesus? We know they're very symbolic of the person of Christ. Jesus claims to be a good shepherd and the lamb of God who would lay his life down for us. But God speaking to the shepherds would be very symbolic of what actually Jesus would do for us. And this is why I believe it's true. When you, get to, when you understand and get to a closer study of the place where Jesus is born, it's very, very interesting. 
God had this all planned out. I know from the external, we look at it and we say, okay, well, Mary and Joseph had to, they could have gave birth in Nazareth, but they had to um, leave uh, to register because of, uh, uh, be, because of the census that had to be taken and each person had to go back uh, to the place of their ancestral birth. So, so we think on the, on the front end, we're thinking, okay, well, they just had to go because it was a governmental edict and they just had to go. But God was working behind the scenes. They needed to go there. They had to go there. This was, a, this was fulfillment of prophecy hundreds of years before. God orchestrated all this stuff for them to go and for the Messiah to be born in the very place that was prophesied about. And so what happens is I, w- I want to get a little closer look at actually where they were born. So what we see is that there was no room in the inn. That they finally get to Bethlehem. There's no room. She's ready to give birth and there's no room in the inn. Now what's interesting is the word for inn is this Greek word, kataluma. It's, a, it's an interesting word. And so I, let, I want to give us an interesting perspective of this word kataluma. Because in the original language the Bible is written in, in, in the Greek language, it can literally mean a guest room, a guest room, which leads many to believe that they went to a house and all the guest rooms in the house were full because everybody's coming to register. So now, now the rooms are, are, are full and many homes had a lower level where animals were kept. So now we, we kind of get a, a, a connection there of Jesus being placed in a feeding trough where animals were kept, where animals were, would be fed. However, however, everybody say however. However, there's actually another interesting take on this verse that many Bible scholars believe that would actually attach Jesus' birth with the shepherds. And this uh, idea could actually be a very strong possibility of the place where Jesus was born. And this connection would make complete sense because of what Jesus Christ would eventually do for you and I on the cross. Some believe, some scholars believe, that Jesus was actually born in northern Bethlehem. And a place called Migdal Adder. And what's interesting about this place is this place is where a watchtower is. And and this watchtower actually had a shelter underneath the watchtower that the shepherds would use during the lambing season to shelter them. Now, these lambs, here's where the connection comes in, and here's where I I, I really strongly lean this way. Um, This place would actually be the place where they would do the lambing season and uh, the lambs would be raised. But these particular lambs were very interesting. The lambs... And these very lambs that would be raised here would actually be used for the sacrificial system in the temple in Jerusalem. Where God required a sacrifice to be made on behalf of their sins. And we know, and we know, follow it now. And we know that Jesus has become what? The Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. These very shepherds are watching the lambs that are actually used for the sacrificial system. Do you see the connection there? That's why I lean. Now, okay, you say, Pastor, uh, how, uh, chapter and verse, chapter and verse. Give me, give me a scripture verse here. Okay, for all you scripture verse people, okay. Micah the prophet, some 700 years earlier, 
before the birth of Christ, prophesied about Jesus' birthplace in Bethlehem. We see that in Micah 5 too. But, everybody say but. But, there's also a mention of Migdal Adder in this very place, this, this strong tower or this shelter in Micah 4, 8. Let me read it to you. Here's what it says. Here's what Micah says. He's prophesying about this. He says, as for you, watchtower. Okay, now just think of the word watchtower, okay? Of the flock, the stronghold of daughter Zion. The former dominion will be restored to you. Kingship will come to daughter Jerusalem. Now, here's what's very interesting. Let's get to, let's, what Micah is, is prophesying about is a future kingdom that will never end. That will be restored by this certain king. And for them not to lose hope because God is sending a king who will restore all things and on his throne and on his kingdom, this kingdom will last forever and ever and ever. Amen. So here's the thing. The watchtower in that verse is the word. Are you ready? Migdal Adder. Same word in the Hebrew. Same word in the Hebrew language that it's written in. And so who is the king? Who is the king of kings? Who is Micah speaking about? He's speaking about the Messiah. This is the Messiah that will come to this watchtower. Migdal Adder. He will come and he will restore all things to you. So have joy. Wake up. Don't worry. Don't fret. This kingdom will be restored to you. And so this prophecy talks about the kingdom being restored. A new king will come and rule in the line of David, an everlasting king. So now let's try to put these points together. How did the shepherds know where to go? Well, we know that we know the angel and uh, this great proclamation, good news and born to you in the town of Bethlehem as savior go. The shepherds knew exactly where to go. Is it possible? Is it possible that they understood this prophecy? Wouldn't it be interesting that the Messiah that was born would be born in the very same place where the sacrificial lambs would be born? That just gave me like, wow. It could be the very same place. Could it be, could it be that the Lamb of God was born in the very same place where the sacrificial lambs were born? Wow. See, now, we, we, don't, we don't know absolutely for sure where Jesus was born. We know he was born in Bethlehem. Whether it was in the lower part of a, a home or a barn, or this watchtower. But what we do know is how God uses the birth of Christ to show us what Jesus would do for us. That Jesus would come for the least of these. That the shepherds were used in this event to show the magnitude of who God is and how he does love us all. That the symbolism behind the shepherds show us that Jesus is this good shepherd. The symbolism of them actually watching the sacrificial lambs show us that Jesus would eventually become a sacrificial lamb for you and I and lay his life down for us, for our sins that we 
could find forgiveness. The connection to the shepherds and the lambs to Jesus is incredible. It's incredible. And it's a foreshadowing of the very life of Jesus. Okay. Now, the message isn't over. As exciting as that was, okay, I believe there's one more thing for us to see with the shepherds. And what I love about this is how God used these men to bring them into his purpose. And listen, I know for some of us here, we struggle with how God can use our past for his future glory. We struggle with that because what we do is we look with human eyes and we look at our world through performance eyes and that we only think that, that God can only use the best and the elite, not in God's kingdom, not in God's kingdom. God can use our mess ups and our screw ups. He wants to use those things for his purposes and His glory. We may not see it at the time, but God says, listen, I've called you. I've saved you. I've forgiven you. And now I want you to come into my plan and my purpose to be used for my glory. And I'll actually use those things for my glory so that other people may know who I am. And that's how God used the shepherds. But why the shepherds? Well, I believe there was something else too. God used the shepherds to do this, to encourage Mary and Joseph. He brings them there to incur- actually encourage them. Now, I believe, that God, I believe God used the shepherds for the sake of Joseph and Mary. This, this, what we need to understand that angelic occurrences are very rare during that time. Very rare. I want you to realize that for 40 years from the time of Malachi, I mean Malachi, if you're Italian, it's Malachi. Okay, the last book in the Old Testament, prophet Malachi. Okay, I'm Sicilian, so it's Malachi. In the Hebrew, it's Malachi. Okay, so um, Malachi gives us prophecy, but there's 400 years between Malachi and what we see in the New Testament. And people did not hear from God. So when you start seeing angels show up, it's usually not a good thing. It's usually not a good sign. It's usually a bad sign. So that's why when you see uh, Mary was terrified or she was nervous and you see the shepherds, they were nervous. I mean, they, they, this just usually uh, angelic currents were rare and that's why the shepherds were terrified at first. Can you imagine? And so they get this word from this host of angels, thousands of angels saying glory to God in the highest on earth, peace among those whom he is, is, is pleased. Now think for a moment. Mary and Joseph had, had an extreme, must have an extreme amount of faith to follow through and obey God. Here they are, they're in this place, they're giving birth, they've, they've had to go through so much just to get to this place. But what I want you to see about the shepherds, how God uses them, is God used the shepherds as a means to confirm what he was wanting uh, Mary and Joseph to understand. So God used the shepherds as a mean to confirm to them that he was still with them, and that he would not leave them. So Mary, Mary and Joseph are there. They're so glad for the birth. But then God sends, the, God sends these shepherds in the fields nearby just to confirm that I'm not going to leave you. And, he, and can you imagine the conversation? Hey, we're out in the field and man, all these, man, God sent all these host of angels to tell us that Glad tidings, good news. Jesus is the Savior. He told us. And I love what verse 19 says in Luke chapter 2. It says, but Mary treasured up all these things 
And what did she do? She actually pondered them in her heart. Mary at this point must have been thinking, God, this is real. This is happening. This is amazing. And that encouraged her. Next week, it doesn't get any better for Mary and Joseph. We're going to talk about the whole reason why God sent the wise men from afar to do the same thing as the shepherds. God had not forgotten about them. And what happens, what we're going to see, what happens with the wise men and the story that surrounds the wise men is horrific. It's a horrible story. And so I, we're going to dig into that next week on how God used the wise men to encourage, encourage them. So here's the thing I want you to see. The shepherd's testimony of what the angels spoke to them confirmed to Mary and Joseph that what they had experienced was true also. What you just experienced is true. And I've just confirmed it through these shepherds to give you a word to encourage you not to give up. Not to give up. See, I love when God does that. We don't necessarily have to chase, chase signs to confirm what God is doing in our lives. But isn't it encouraging and comforting when God gives us affirming signs through other people? When there's something that you read in God's word, or maybe, maybe we're singing a song, maybe you're hearing it on the radio, and all of a sudden something just quickens your spirit that God says, I'm with you. I've got you. I'm not going to let you go. And there's something that God uses in other people to encourage us in the Lord. Maybe, maybe, maybe God wakes you up in the middle of the night or maybe God just drops someone in your heart and you just begin to pray for them. And then you begin to share with that person, hey, you know what? I just want you to know that God laid you on my heart and I just want you to know that I'm praying for you, that God cares for you and I just want to encourage you today. You have no idea what that might mean to that person at that moment. And that's the very word that they might need to hear to encourage them through the things that they're facing and that they realize, God, you haven't forgotten about me. Because every single one of us go through those times in our lives where we feel alone and we feel abandoned. And maybe we just feel like, man, I, I don't know if I can take another thing. And then all of a sudden God comes and he reveals something to us, to our word, or he brings someone alongside of us to encourage us. And then it quickens our spirit to realize that, God, you haven't given up on me. See, it was God's joy to share this wonderful message with the shepherds. And it was God's great joy to have the shepherds share with Mary and Joseph. And all of a sudden, listen to what turned around. This difficult situation of being in these meager surroundings. They had nothing. They had no clothes to even put on Jesus. They had it stripped cloth to put on Jesus in his birth. Think of that and think about how joyless the surroundings were, but how joyful it became because God entered into the equation and God showed them his purpose and his plan. So even in the midst of a difficult circumstance, Mary was able to ponder these things in her heart and know that God was with her and was not going to leave her. And he uses the shepherds to rejoice in this great moment, the greatest moment that this world has ever seen. And that's the birth of our Savior. And the reason why they could have joy, their joy wasn't based on their circumstances. They were meager. They had nothing. Their joy was based on the fact that God gave them his word. 
and told them that he would be with them, that what happened here is exactly what God planned for. And that's what kept them going. That's what kept them going. That's what gave them joy. And so my question to you, in in the midst of hardship, in the midst of hardship, they still had joy. In the midst of their difficult circumstance, they still had joy because their joy wasn't based in their circumstance. Their joy was based in God's word and what he showed them. And so my prayer for you today, my prayer for you today is, God, would you just, I'm not feeling real joyful during this Christmas time. To be honest with you, Christmas isn't the greatest time of the year for me. Or maybe you're just going through something in your family, your personal life, and you're not feeling that joy. Here's the thing that God desires for you. That you would avail yourself to him. And say, God, I'm not, I'm not feeling it right now. I'm not, you know, but, but I, I know that you do love me. And, and I know you do want to use me. And I need to avail myself to you. See, the thing that I think we're looking for is we're looking for joyful things and things that ultimately can't deliver, right? It's like Christmas morning, you open up the gifts and you're so excited as parents to give your, you know, your son or your daughter this gift and then you're playing with the box and not the toy. You know what I mean? It's, like, it, it's, it's short-lived. It, it's just short-lived. But here's the thing. God's saying, listen, I want to give you a joy that's not based in, in anything in this world that I want your joy to be based in the future hope that you have with me, that your life with me is based on an eternal hope, not a temporal one here in this earth. It will give you a new perspective of Christmas, a new joy. And it's not bad to celebrate Christmas and have presents. All those things are fine and dandy, and we should celebrate this time of the year. However, let's base it in the right thing and who Jesus is. Can I just say this? The more you have of Jesus the less this world will be attractive to you. The more you run after Jesus, the more you run after him, the less this world has a pull on your life. The more you run after Jesus, the more these other things will be put into their proper perspective. And and they won't have as much pull on your life and as much meaning as they used to have the more you run after Jesus. And so I, I believe wholeheartedly the reason why shepherds and Joseph and Mary had this great joy is because they understood and under, understood the purpose that God had for their life. And it was beyond this immediate circumstances. God says, I'm including you in my great plan. Now I want to use you. And he wants to do the same for you and I. He wants to do the same for you and I. So Father God, as we just bow our heads before you, I, um, I want to thank you for using us, even in spite of the things we've gone through or the trials that we've gone through. Because I think sometimes we may feel like, God, you may be against us because of the trials we're going through. And when things don't work out in our life, we may feel like, well, God, are you really against me? And that may not be it at all. Because if we really look at the life of Mary and Joseph, it seems like God was against them, but he wasn't. He was with them. He was actually using those circumstances and those trials so that he might be glorified and that they might trust him even more. And so, God, I pray that we would not lose focus of your love for us. That even though though we might be going through a trial now, may we realize that you have not lost track of us. 
And I pray for anyone in this room today that is just discouraged, that feels down today, whether it's condemnation from their past, guilt from their past, or choices that they've made, I pray through Christ Jesus you would free them from that and that they would avail themselves to you and that you would show them you're calling them to something bigger and greater. And it's not the things in this world that will lose their luster so quickly, but you're calling them to a greater purpose in Christ Jesus to say, I want to use your life. I want to give you joy even in the midst of difficult circumstances because I want to change your perspective and I want you to see behind the scenes that I'm going to use you for my glory and my purposes. So Lord, God, just change our hearts today. Change our hearts today. Joy to the world. For the Lord has come. And I pray that you would come into every single heart in this place today and that we would experience true joy. True joy that's not based on our circumstances, but based on a Savior who loves and cares for us and has changed our future. So thank you, Jesus, for being both that good shepherd and the Lamb of God for us today. We love you, we thank you, and we ask these things in Jesus' wonderful name. In Jesus' wonderful name. All God's children said, amen, amen. I want us to stand today. And now, here's what we're going to do. I, can, we just, can we just sing this out today? Listen, I have a horrible voice, by the way, but I'm going to sing this out. Can we just sing joy to the world today? And let's mean it, because our joy is not based in our circumstance. Your joy's not based in whether or not you're going to get the new iPhone for Christmas, okay? It's not based in that. But it's based in God sending his beautiful Savior for you and I. So let's sing this unto the Lord today, amen? And let God hear it from our heart today. God bless you to sing this unto Jesus. Amen.